This is episode number 48 with Gilles Monot, co-founder and partner at Better Tomorrow Ventures. Welcome to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. My name is Andrew Senduk, a former banker turned tech entrepreneur. And in each episode, I interview the movers and shakers of the venture capital and investment space in Southeast Asia, with the only goal to help you discover how to raise more capital, build better companies, and to give you a better understanding of the people behind the biggest funds in the region. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now let's get started. All right, beautiful people, welcome to a new day, a new episode. Today, I'm again excited. I mean, I keep saying that I'm excited, but I'm really, really pumped for today because uh, I have Shil Monot on the show. And I always love journeys. I, I love stories of entrepreneurs becoming investors because I think there's just so much power in, uh, in founder-led funds. So today, I have the privilege and honor to be with Shil. Just a few highlights. There's many highlights of your, <laughs> of your path, but you had roles with, uh, with Kifa. Uh, with Groupon, uh, of which they actually, Groupon actually acquired uh, Fee Fighters, which is another company that you, uh, you launched. You were with Intel Capital and with Amazon uh, for a few months. Co-founder of Thistle, healthy food company. You're co-founder and director uh, at Innovative Auctions, uh, which was an auction company with hundreds of millions of revenue. Co-founder of the Pitch Podcast. Again, an amazing feat with hundreds of thousands of listeners, which was acquired by Gimlet. Uh, and currently, you're the co-founder of Better Tomorrow Ventures, a beautiful name, and I think very clearly on, on the site as well. And it's also what you said in our previous chat. You want to be the most active early-stage fintech investor globally. Better Tomorrow Ventures is a seed-focused venture capital firm investing in exceptional founders, building transformative fintech companies around the world. Uh, fund number one was around $70 million, uh, which closed in September 2020. That's, that's not even two years ago, uh, guys. And fund number two... I recently closed at $225 million. Uh, portfolio companies include, amongst others, Brick, uh, Kadana, Creditbook, and Unit. A mouthful. Shil, welcome to the show. Super pumped you're here. Uh, how's everything in New Mexico? Uh, great. Yeah, I'm in Mexico City. Uh, it's, it's awesome. Thanks for that wonderful intro. Yeah, man. Uh, Shil, uh, thank you for, for joining. Uh, before we start, maybe a big shout out to Hurston because he connected us. So if you're listening, Hurston, thank you so much. Uh, we just uh, were talking about, let's say, the public announcement of fund number two. Uh, I think you mentioned like six six places where you were in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you're full. You're full on the road. You're full on the road. Yeah, it's back. I feel like um, it certainly feels like COVID is over. Let's hope that that's the case. But yeah, last last couple of weeks, uh, last month or so, I've been traveling a lot. I, I live in San Francisco, but I was in. Uh, Nairobi and uh, Diani in Kenya, and then I was in um, South Africa, Cape Town, then I was in LA, then Aspen, then Sonoma, San Francisco for a few days back home, and then uh, now I'm in Mexico City. So it's been, it's been quite a whirlwind, but you know, we invest globally, and um, so there's always stuff going on internationally that I like to be a part of, and there are companies we've invested in that I haven't even met. And so, you know, now that things are opening back up, I get to meet these companies. Which is That's exciting. amazing. That's amazing. So is the, is the goal of, let's say, this trip, is it mostly like uh, um, meeting portfolio companies or are you attending a lot of events? Like what's kind of like the, what's kind of like the roadshow and these, these coming like shortly after your public announcement? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. So, um, you know, in, on this case, Tris, on this trip in Mexico City, I'm, uh, I'm meeting two portfolio companies 
uh, one entirely for the, for the first time. And then one, I've only met one of the founders before now meeting the second founder uh, and, and actually the whole team. We had a board meeting yesterday. Um, so it's a little bit of both. And then, and then um, last night and tonight, you know, there are like other FinTech events meeting other VCs and, and founders in the area. Awesome, man. So, Shiel, let's let's uh, let's rewind a bit, right? Because because it's always easy to like when I just you know I, I highlight those 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 milestones within your career, and you could say like, okay, Shiel, kind of like figured it out, right? I mean, uh, you build stuff, gets acquired by Groupon, everything is already within the fintech kind of direction, and then now suddenly you you know you manage with AUM total of three hundred plus million dollars. Yeah, kind of makes sense that that was your path. But maybe you could bring us back a bit to let's say early days career. Like, what's kind of been you know, looking back, what's kind of been that path into specifically fintech investing and specifically early stage? Yeah, it started out when I was an entrepreneur. I think, you know, I was on the other side of the table pitching VCs and I thought the other side of the table was a lot more interesting. I thought. I was like, Which oh, side? The, 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 the VC side or the entrepreneur side? The VC side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought like, oh, those guys are the smart guys. They get to decide what the future holds. And, you know, of course, I've learned now they're not necessarily the smart guys. And actually, I have a lot more respect for founders uh, than I did before, maybe even. But uh, it's been it's been fun. So so I sort of thought about it back then. I thought like venture capital would be a great career. I had a, I had an exit. So I had a little bit of capital. I started investing, um, really enjoyed investing, um, particularly enjoyed just helping founders at the earliest stages. And thought maybe I can make my career doing this, um, but I, you know, ended up doing a, a couple couple other startups, and then decided to, to, to jump in full time, and that was now uh, six years ago. So it's wow. been been a long time. Wow. And uh, I, I'm enjoying every minute. I'm enjoying most most minutes, not every minute. Yeah. So what don't you enjoy about the journey? I think the journey is awesome. It's really just like. Along the way, there's sometimes there's administrative stuff that you have to deal with. Sometimes there's, you know, there's there are times when you have made a bad investment. You have to deal with the repercussions of that. Um, you know, in some cases, we have a founder that, that we, not we as in the VC firm, we've never fired a founder, but, um, you know, if there, there can be founder disputes and we have to help out on that. Um, so those are those are challenges that come up from time to time. It's so interesting, right? Like uh, if, if I just look at I look at, at funds in general, it, it's such a, a leveraged game in that sense, right? Because when you build companies, you need to hire aggressively. You have a lot of staff, oftentimes. Uh, but it seems like now, if we just talk about it, let's say you got three hundred plus million AUM. How big is the team right now? Like how do you how do you how do you manage it? Yeah, the team's pretty small. So. Um, it's myself and Jake are the, are the two partners. Jake uh, has been my partner, you know, since, since day one in BTV. And then um, we have Lauren on our team, who's, who's a couple of years out of college. She found us by cold emailing us and, and pestering us till we gave her the job, which has been awesome. She's, she's a delight to have on the team. And then Jenny, uh, who is a venture partner, she's part-time. She's a current student at Stanford GSB. Also, sort of like cold reached out to us. Not, not cold because we knew who she was, but sort of reached out to us, and and we've been really happy to have her on, on the team as well. So it's like four people, and not even four people full time. That's right. Yeah. So 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 let's let's think about that, right? I, I, 
there's two funds. You, you, you're, you're one of the most active fintech investors globally, and you actually run it with, let's say, two and a half or maybe three, three full-time people, right? Yeah, you know, I, I will say this is not, um, it's not something to be proud of, actually, quite the opposite. Like, I, uh, we need to hire some folks. So actually, we, we have, uh, we have two, two new folks starting next month. So uh, finally, we're catching up. But uh, I think there can be, I think there's some pride in having a small team. And, and I, I, I certainly feel like we've accomplished a lot as a small team. On the other hand, I feel like we're missing out on a lot. So mm. sort of like capture, you know, what we want to do. We are, we are bringing on a couple more. That, that, is, uh, that is so that is so amazing. Uh, sometimes I kind of like make the parallel, let's say Instagram early days where there's like, I don't know, like 10, 12 people and they get acquired by Facebook. Uh, and, and now yeah. with, with VCs, it's, I mean, if I just repeat what you just said, there's, there's two full-time people, there's, there's a, and then there's two people that are actually part-time, right? And you're, running, and you're running like a fund which has like 300 plus million AUM, which is, which is still like mind-blowing, right? If, if you think about it. So, so that, means, that means when it comes down to uh, deal flow, uh, LP management. I mean, you guys really juggle all those balls to, uh, with that, with that, with that hyper-focused team, which is, which is intense. I can imagine, right? So, if you look at the two partners, um, uh, is there some type of roles and responsibility where you know one is focusing only on LPs, the other one's focused on portfolio management? Like, how do you do that operationally? No, I think we we don't have like sort of firm lines in which we operate. Um, in general, um, I'd say for a general thing, I'm probably more outgoing and that I'm doing more of the travel and probably am a little bit more of the face of, of the fund than Jake. But, you know, we're, we're equal partners in the fund and Jake is really like making sure the wheels uh, are stay on and, and we're running on time because I, I'm a mess with that sort of stuff. We talk a bit about, about deal flow and about inbound stuff, right? What you were mentioning before. And like just looking at, at, at VCs in general, I mean, those two elements of, of, of building a fund is, I think, kind of like the foundation, right? Like, well, one is, is, is just deal flow. So good either inbound or outbound flow of, of good entrepreneurs and good deals that you can jump into. And, and another one is just having uh, committed LPs, committed deep pockets that say like, okay, I, I trust your, um, your judgment, trust your judgment and I trust you invest in the right entrepreneurs. Could you bring us back? Because I understand like, you know, when, when your company got acquired uh, or when the podcast got acquired, there is, there's liquidity. And so you've been maybe angel investing already for a long time. So, so you know network, right? Maybe you could bring us back a bit to kind of like layering, putting down the foundation at least for, uh, for BT so that those two elements of a fund are at least, at least covered. Like how did that, how did it come about? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I got a little bit lucky in that when I started investing in startups, which I guess the first investments were like 10 years ago now, almost, mm. um, there weren't that many investors. So um, it was easy to get a meeting with anybody. And, you know, you kind of knew a lot of, like I'd moved to San Francisco about 10 years ago, ended up, you kind of just like going from party to party, you meet a lot of people that are building companies. It's very different now. Like there's so many people building companies is probably like more than 10 X from that time. And uh, especially in FinTech, like in FinTech at that time, you kind of just knew everyone. You'd see them at various events and, and you're, you're friends with them. Uh, now 
you know, I, there's so many people I don't know. Um, so, you know, I got lucky by starting early in the, started a, in, in the world of FinTech more than 10 years ago before it was cool. Um, I always liked FinTech. So I, you know, there's nothing changing that yeah. for me yeah. other than a lot more people are in the category now. Um, and then on the LP side, you know, fundraising, uh, you know, for BTV one, BTV one ended up being 75 million. And I had, we had a, I had a previous small fund, $15 million fund in 2017, 500 FinTech and fundraising for that fund was really hard. So I actually, for the first year and a half, I was pretending like I had a fund, but it was my own money. And then it ended up becoming a lot of my own money. So like I was like selling stocks to invest in startups. I was like, you know, everything, every money, every penny I had, I was like putting in startups. Um, and then eventually, you know, some of those companies started to do well. And based on, on that early success, I was able to raise a small fund, 15 million. And those were, um, a lot of the LPs were like friends of mine, people I knew sort of in the community. Um, but it was very hard to raise. Took took a long time. Yeah. Year and a half plus. And then fund two, or sorry, fund fund one, BTV fund one, Jake joined me. Jake was actually a part of 500 FinTech as well, but in a part-time way. But Jake joined me as partner. And the first 20 million or so was pretty easy to raise. Like people knew us, we have a reputation. A lot of people just said, okay, I'm going to write you a check no matter what. That first 20 million was pretty easy. And then it was like going out to LPs and pounding the pavement um, and going to institutions, all that kind of stuff. And this is, this is, I'm talking early 2020 now. And then we'd planned to do a first close of the fund March 30th, or second close of the fund March 30th, 2020. And then bam, COVID. And we had done our only road trip. Uh, to visit LPs literally like the second week of March. Wow. And then we went out there to the East coast to Baltimore, Philly and New York meeting with various LPs. A lot of them were interested and then bam, market falls. Um, everything is in turmoil. No one is willing to write a check. Um, and you know, we thought we looked at ourselves and thought, okay, at, at that point, our target for the fund was 60 million. And we thought, okay, maybe this is going to be a contingency plan. Instead of 60 million, maybe we'll do 30 million or yeah. 40 million if, if we're lucky. And we, so we sent an, a, a letter to our LPs who came into the first close, a $20 million close. And we said, hey, you know, it's going to end up being a lot smaller fund. But don't worry because valuations are going to come down and um here's what you know a lot of great companies are built in downturns and then you know the world was falling apart this is like end of march and then you know lo and behold two months later <laughs> everything is different uh the stock market is on a tear everything's different in the financial world of course you know in the in the real world things are still still pretty bad but uh the stock market comes roaring back and a lot of LPs come roaring back. They reach out to us and we ended up fairly quickly raising the rest of the fund and ended up being 75 million, even though our target was 60. 
we had a little bit of buffer. We could go above 60 and we went to 75. Um, and, you know, very grateful that we did because contrary to what our initial thought was, our initial thought was valuations are coming down. The reality is valuations were up substantially from that time now. That is, that is so interesting, right? I mean, it's so contra, contradictive to, 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 well, is it not, maybe it's not even common sense, but just emotions in the market that you would say like, okay, like the world is on fire. Um, everyone, you think like, okay, I'm going to hold on to my money, man. Like just let's, let's see, see what is going to happen. But then you see this liquidity providers, you see these people with a lot of cash. They also get stressed, right? Because they say, oh, our, my, my, my safe haven, so to say public markets, there's also fire there. Okay. So I need to find, I need to find my, I need to find another allocation for my money. Okay, I think this VC class, asset class could be interesting. So, so it means that in, in the, okay, so the heat of the pandemic, everyone is holding on to my cash. A few months later, public markets go, go, go into turmoil. And then suddenly these LPs say, okay, uh, public markets is maybe not the go-to place at the moment. Okay, Shield, do you have another place where I can put my money right now? I mean, that's kind of like how it went, right? To a certain extent, I, I think, you know, our LP base, a lot of it ended up being like fund of funds. And so those guys, they have a permanent, not permanent, they have a, they have a continuous capital base dedicated to venture. Yeah. That needs to be deployed. That needs to be deployed. That needs to be deployed, right? So, 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 so you could actually, even without, without intentionally like moving, moving it that way, you're, you could like, kind, of, kind of like leverage the fact that these fund of funds have a timeline independent of what is happening in the world, yes or no, we need to deploy funds into funds. Which then you could, you know, and you were there to kind of like uh, say, okay, we're, we, we welcome, we welcome your your cash into our fund. So was it for you a surprise? Like, was it for you a surprise? Like in that peak of pandemic, you know, uh, the world is on fire, and that suddenly these LPs started to reach out to you guys. Shu, are you are you still open? You still want to receive money? Was it a surprise for you guys, or, or like what was that? Yeah, it was a little bit of a surprise. Um, I didn't I didn't necessarily expect it. Uh, you know, like I said, we just written an email saying, "Hey, this is going to be different." In fact, you know, we're completely wrong. Could not have been more wrong. So, what 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 is the takeaway from that? Actually, this 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 is interesting, right? So, let's say that as a as a as a fund manager, as, as a GP yourself, you just write that email to your LPs, guys, girls. Uh, the world's kind of on fire. Initially, one through seventy. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make it a bit smaller, and then a few, a few months later, a few weeks later, you get this inbound of of fund of funds of people saying like, "Shoot, take my money." Yeah, I think you have to be nimble and willing to go where the market is. I think we are much less prescriptive than we are opportunistic. So, we, you know, we look at opportunities as they come in. Of course, of course. Uh, we, you mentioned the topic of, of like, let's say deal flow, right? Where you say like, okay, 10 plus years ago, uh, you're one of the early guys in the scene. You know the scene so well. You, you go to the events. Everyone knows you. You know everyone. So it is easier to write a ticket to the right exceptional founder. But now right. in, a, in a market, which is, let's say, 10x the number of founders, and I think also 10x the number of VCs and funds that are floating around, how do you go about, uh, I would love to know, like, just initially, like, when pitching to LPs, like, for, for BTV uh, 1 or, or 2, what is kind of, like, your unique positioning to kind of convince the LPs to commit? And I think number two, 
when it comes down to deal flow, when the market is getting more crowded, how do you stay on the radar of those top fintech players uh, the moment that they need, uh, they, need, they need cash? Yeah. Um, first of all, I'd say like, we're, you have to play the game on the field, you know? Mm-hmm. So like we, we are investing through downturns or not. Um, I think like there are times where we step back and say, Hey, there may be dislocation in valuations, but in general, we are always going to be investing. Sorry. Well, and then what was the, yes, so, so number one is more on, uh, how do you get that deal flow? Right. And number two is more on, yeah. on presenting to LPs, like in an, in a market yeah, yeah. where there is more and more VCs, you still need to stand out yeah, and be yeah, unique, yeah. be unique in position. Right. So, um, so deal flow comes in a variety of ways. I think, um, number one is probably um, other VC funds, actually. There are a lot of later stage funds that we work with very closely who look at a deal and say, this deal is a little too early for me. Why don't you guys take a look at it? Um, and so that's been a great source of, uh, of uh, deals for us. Another, or, or, or it, could be, it could be a later stage fund. It could be a, um, a fund operating at the same stage as us, but you know, we are lead VC, which means we are writing checks typically of a half million to $3 million. And there are a lot of other VCs that we love to work with who write much smaller checks. They're writing checks 50K to 250K, something like that. And when they see a company they like, they want to have a partner to go in on it with them. And so they might show it, share it with us. And that's been, that's been very good. Mm. So, um, so I'd say like those two are probably the, the, the first bucket where we get the most deal flow. And then there's cold inbound. We actually get a decent amount of cold inbound through Twitter, email, whatever. Um, it's actually like an immense amount. And, you know, unfortunately we actually can't respond to everyone. We, we, um, you know, that, that's another source and we have made investments from people who we'd never met or have no connection to who just emailed us out of the blue and had a compelling message and, and we invested. Um, and then the third is, I would say like our existing portfolio founders say, Hey, somebody's leaving my company. I really like him or her. I'm going to invest. Um, you know, you led my round. Why don't you take a look at this one? And, or, you know, somebody says like my, my friend is starting a company. Why don't you look at it? Those are probably those are probably the three buckets: other VCs, cold inbound, and then from our founders. Yeah, I, I love that, especially um, since you start with the first one, right? It, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just I'm just thinking about about like VCs and and you know trying to fight for deals and being being the the first on uh, on the cap table or just just the top of mind of of entrepreneurs. It seems sometimes that. That is a competitive space, right? Like VC fund or VC fund A wants to wants to be the number one top of mind of entrepreneurs. Then, uh, then a VC number, a VC B, VC fund B, the, and and there there is some type of competition. But but you started with let's say the fund of funds, right? So it's a lot a lot of collaboration amongst other funds. Like how how do you balance like this this collaborative element of, of investing versus the competitive element of investing? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of talk about 
the competitive nature of investing. Like on Twitter, it's a lot of what people talk about. I think there's actually a lot of collab. There's a lot more collaboration, and certainly there have been times when you know actually like in most of the companies we invest in, there are many many term sheets, uh, or at least there. Generally speaking, there are at least a few options for the entrepreneur. So it does mean that you have to be chosen, and and of course, you know we love being chosen. I think our messaging <laughs> is pretty clear in that, like, you know, we are all we do is seed stage fintech, and we think we can be the most helpful partner to our companies. Um, and generally speaking, that resonates. So, like. Nine times out of ten, if we give a company an offer to invest, they will take our offer.、Mm. And sometimes that's even meant.、Um, sometimes our offer is like way lower than others. They they've said, "Hey, we want to work with you, but you know your offer was way low. Could you come up a little bit?" And sometimes we've done that. But generally speaking, if we want to invest in a company, we'll we'll be able to invest in that company. But on on collaboration, I think sort of on the other hand, like. We love collaborating with other funds. It's sometimes hard with other lead funds. They're, they're, you know, they're funds that we compete with, and just because of ownership requirements on both our ends, it would be hard for us to ever do a deal together, which is yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. But there are a lot of other funds that we love collaborating with. There are some funds we've collaborated with like three, four, five times at the same round, and then there, there are in fund one. You know, we have. A few collaborators that we've done multiple deals with,、um, Excel, Tiger, Insight. We've all done、uh, multiple deals with, and、um, you know, I think that'll probably continue. That's、uh, that's really intriguing. So, so even there are startups where you know you you put your term sheet on the table, and and, and these startups would say like, okay, you know, your terms or or the valuation that you give is actually is smaller than 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 other investors. But we still really want you on board. That happens. Yeah, that's right. That's that's yeah, pretty that's、sure. pretty amazing, right? So so that means that means for this for startup for founders in general, it is so much more than just money. Yes, I think you know there are founders for whom like they're just hoping to get one term sheet, and if they get that one, kind of whoever it is, they'll accept it. But most of the companies we invest in, they have a choice, and They make a choice based on who they feel most comfortable with in in working with, and like who is going to help take your company to the next level. I think、um, you know, like what we're ultimately selling to founders is improved odds. We are saying if you choose to work with us, you will have a better chance of success,、mm. and and what that means is. We will help you raise the next round. We will be there for you. We'll help with hiring. All, all of these sorts of things. We're doing all we can to improve odds、uh, of that of that、uh, company success. Yeah.、Um, and so you're choosing us not only for our money. Our money is a part of it, but、um, it's also for for us actually, you know, advising and coaching. Yeah, I I love that man. Like,、um, oftentimes I, I talk about this topic of let's say quote unquote smart money, right?、Uh, check is just a check, and you know if you invest hundred thousand dollars, it's quote unquote just hundred thousand dollars, right?、Uh, 
I think what a lot of founders are, of course, looking for is that $100,000 plus some strategic added value that could really, like you said, improve the odds, like increase my market or, you know, better company culture or, or whatever, whatever it is that this company can make can push forward. Like in, in, a, in a world where uh, there's so much liquidity flowing around, what do you think has been one of the key factors of BTV being able to triple their fund size because LPs also have choice because there's so many VCs out there and so many VCs out there. I always joke around that if I look at the copy of VC funds on their website, everyone will say, <laughs> everyone will say that they're going to back exceptional founders. Everyone will say is that we're going to quote unquote, improve, improve the odds of success, right? Everyone will say that, you know, we're going to unlock growth for you guys. So how, how in that world of quote unquote, similar PR, what do you think have, has been, let's say, the success factor for, for BTV2 to, to be able to triple, triple the, the fund size? Yeah, um, I think it's a confluence of things. I think, first of all, a lot of funds are increasing in size these days. I think there's more capital going into venture than there was before because people have realized it's a, it's a great asset class and technology is the future, you know, software is eating the world. So a lot of capital has flown into venture capital in general. So it's not, it's not like we are unique in that our fund size has increased, but um, we did not want to increase the fund size just for the sake of increasing the fund size. You know, I, I think there's like, it's, it becomes, if you have, you know, some success in venture, it becomes relatively easy to increase fund size. And um, we really thought about like, how much money do we want to achieve the goals um, that we have, which is to be the leading sort of the, the number one choice for founders uh, starting companies in the fintech sector. And so, you know, we need to bring on some folks onto the team. And we realize also, hey, some of these uh, round sizes have increased substantially. For us to capitalize on that, if we're going to take a lead position, and you know that means ideally 10 to 15% of the company, we need to write bigger checks. And so you know, now we're writing bigger checks and uh, it has gone, has gone pretty well. Um, by the way, yeah, it, it got reported as, as, as a tripling of the fund size, which is true. Our, our new funds together are 225, but actually it's two separate funds. There is a seed fund which is 150. So really you could say our fund size doubled from 75 to 150. And then there's also an opportunity fund for follow which is just going to invest in follow-ons yeah. of our portfolio companies, sort of like select, you know, the top companies to follow on into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. So is there any specific thinking about that? Like splitting that up in two separate funds? Because sometimes it's like, okay, we have one fund, let's say 100 million, but we reserve 25% for follow-on rounds. So we're actively investing with the 75, but then we just reserve 25 for, you know, for, for next rounds. What has been the... So, so we do that now? also. So, so fund one, so fund, sorry, fund two, the core seed fund, there are, um, we will do follow-ons from that fund. We'll write the first check um, and then, you know, the subsequent check and maybe even check after that from that fund. But... Um, the, the opportunity fund is for, first of all, it's across the portfolio. 
So not just fund two, but also fund one in our past portfolio we could invest out of. Mm. And the idea there is we would be following on into, into late rounds that we would not have followed on into from the fund. So like that CDE round you can follow on into from the opportunity fund. As long as we think there's still 5X upside in the company. I like that. So that 5X is kind of like the golden rule? On the, on the uh, opportunity fund. The core fund, really, we're looking for, for 20X plus outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You mentioned something which, which I think is, is a super interesting concept, right? So when we were talking about, let's say, fund number one, let's say the $70 million fund and, and, and the BTV2, the $150 million, uh, one of the reasons, of course, that you were able to raise a quote-unquote double that fund or, or triple the fund is because of the successes that you had with fund number one, which, which totally makes sense, right? But when we talk about success and we talk about, I mean, just looking at timelines, it's very interesting, right? Where let's say fund number one was around, what, September 2020? Uh, yeah, it hasn't been that long. Hasn't been that long, right? So it almost, yeah, it's it's almost. What does success even mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there are no exits, um, and so it's kind of, yeah, it's a great question. Like, what what does success mean? Mm. So, for first of all, like we did have a prior fund, right? I had a 2017 fund, and that fund has done really well. Um, there are a bunch of companies that we invested at in a sub five million dollar valuation that are now worth over a billion dollars. Wow. Um, and so that's been really phenomenal. I think, frankly, it's a, um, we got lucky on timing uh, in that we were investing in fintech before it was cool. And then like during this time, you know, during the past five years, six years, um, it became fintech thing. has very much become at the forefront. <laughs> yeah. And so, these companies we invested in led really early rounds at, at, at quite low valuations because that was a clearing price. Um, now those companies have raised piles of money. Um, so I think because of that, that made, you know, that made our fundraise pretty easy. We could say, hey, look, here's, here's the first fund we've done together uh, for four plus years in. Here's the performance, and it's it's like it looks very good on paper. So that that was uh, that was what happened there. And then um, you know BTV one, I think it's very early. Most of the investments we made in BTV one were made in 2021, um, and so you know there isn't that much to go off of. But I think what LPs look at is the strength of follow-on investors. So, um, you know, we have had a lot of the top funds follow on into our companies, um, Excel, Rivet, um, CRV, um, Bain Capital Ventures, Tribe. Wow. Uh, all, Bessemer, all these guys have invested in our companies. And I think that, you know, that sort of signaling goes a long way more than the numbers actually do in this environment, or I should say the 2021 environment. I think I suspect everyone, you know, most funds have very good numbers. It's really about, you know, who's building uh, great companies. And, and, and I think 
the strength of the, the quality of follow-on investors, I think, is, is, is part of that. Yeah. What are your thoughts about, um, I mean, at the end of the day, investors are, are, are just normal human beings, right? Which are also, that are also, quote unquote, sensitive for, oh, that is pretty, that is a hot, that is a hot startup or that is a hot um, uh, sector <laughs> or, or it is a hot deal. Investing out of FOMO. Oh, Sheila is investing. I need to be there because Sheila is there. Like, what, what, what do you, what do you feel? What are your feel, feels about that? Like, is that a real thing, or, or do you think it's, it's, it's oh, something? It's definitely a real thing. And, and to be honest, it's not like it's smart, right? Like, if you, if you see another smart investor investing, then of course you want to invest. <laughs> like you, you, like if some fund you know, like routinely has, you know, five plus X returns and they're investing in a company, that's a good sign. Mm. Um, that isn't how we operate because that's not how we could operate. We are a lead fund. So we can't, uh, you know, we can't use somebody else's work. Um, but a lot of follow-on funds will say, okay, you guys are investing. I want to invest too. Um, and, and, and I get it. It makes sense. Mm. I think it's just a, such an interesting topic, right? And especially when it comes down to value creation, because you want to invest in companies that are that are really creating value, like you said, not just on not just paper value, but actually are really creating value, like expanding their markets, like having good leadership, uh, having good retention rate of of, of employees, uh, having a good vision, et cetera, et cetera. How do you go about, especially since you, since you guys are are ex founders, you did really well, you know you know how it is, you know the blood, sweat, and tears that it requires to build something of value, like. How do you go about adding that value on top of just writing the check to your portfolio companies to help them improve the odds? Yeah, I would say like, you know, look, there's some things we're good at, some things that other people are probably better at than us. I think where we tend to focus is things that we think we're good at. So um, we, we're, first of all, like we're available. I think that, that is one thing that founders tell us time and time again. Like when they reach out, we respond immediately. Like we are in business for founders and that is our, they're our customer. Um, so we are, we are always there for them. So first of all, like we're there if they want to think through something. Um, but then I think, you know, we are really helpful in hiring. Um, we, we have a very high rate of closing candidates. So if somebody wants to join a company, they get them on the phone with us. We explain why we invested and, and, you know, a new hire in early stage company is also making a pretty substantial investment because generally they're taking a pay cut um, and, and they're investing a lot of time. Um, so we have to convince them. And so I think we, we love doing that. We love thinking through distribution. Um, the fact that we're in FinTech means we can connect them to different folks that they need. Um, you know, one of our companies today was asking a question about ACH, like who should I use for ACHing uh, money? And, and like, that's something instantly we can help answer that, you know, maybe not every other investor could. Yeah. Um, we like being involved in helping building company culture. So I will often uh, do like a lunch and learn with, with my portfolio companies where they will all be together and I'll get on the video with them or, or in person sometimes uh, and just sort of talk through why, why we invested and explain to them like, you know, what venture capital is sometimes. 
Um, and then, you know, importantly, of course, raising the next round, I think, you know, the fact that we've invested sends a signal to the next round investors. And I think generally speaking, if it's one of our portfolio companies, the next round investor will take it seriously. Yeah. And, uh, and then we help sort of run that process and yeah. has, has been, has been successful so far. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing, man. I think a lot of a lot of the ad value, the value add is, is really based on the fact that that you were like early in the game, right? Early in the game, and you have been entrepreneurs yourself. So purely based on that, you know, as a result, there, there's reputation, there's experience, which you can then put uh, put into the portfolio, right? What would you say to let's say uh, early early fund managers? So fund managers are just starting out that do not per se have the quote unquote competitive edge. You know that to say like okay we've we've been here you know 10 plus years 15 years we've been investing we're starting the game right now in a time where there's a lot of vcs popping up you know especially in the west coast there's, there's so many vcs popping up but the same the so same is happening many. in south asia right <laughs> but the same is happening in south oh, yeah. asia as well so what, what would be your advice like on, on these guys that are saying okay you know what i want to be like shield like i want to i want to also like back like amazing fintech founders because i believe that southeast asia is going to be the next big thing but i don't have that that you know that, that edge in that sense, you know, that I've been around for a long time. Like, what would you, what would you advise to those uh, VCs? You know, I think the key is getting started and like, you know, you'll have that history over time. Uh, key is getting started. And, and I think being as helpful as possible to as many people as possible gets you on the radar and that'll pay dividends in the future. Like, so many people have helped me get to where I am. Um, you know, I feel like when I started in FinTech, the community was pretty small. And there are a number of folks who took me in, introduced me to their investors, like all sorts of stuff. Uh, and I'm forever grateful to those people and, and do all I can to get, to get them back. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, just just being a helpful participant in the ecosystem is very valuable. Yeah. 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 A beautiful man. Really, uh, really amazing, amazing journey. So if you look at the portfolio right now, I mean, you're a global investor, you, you, you travel, you travel everywhere, right? Is there any, like, yeah. um, is there any type of like concentration within the portfolio that maybe now since you're, since you're based in the U S it's still like the biggest chunk is in the U S or is it really scattered around? Because I can imagine from a portfolio management perspective, it makes it, maybe diff more difficult uh, to kind of like really add that full 100% added value if these companies are scattered all over the place um, or, or is it not, <laughs> especially nowadays? Maybe it's not, I don't know. Like, how do you, how do you handle that? No, you're, you're right. It's a great question. So um, first thing I'll say is it's something I worried about as well. Like if we're investing in a company in Indonesia, how valuable can it really be to them? Like, I don't have the network. I can't make the same connections I can make in the United States. Like with our U.S. companies, like I know most of the people in the fintech. Yeah, world. it's easier. Yeah, easier. But what I've learned is, like, first of all, like this is way more global than it ever was before. Mm. Uh, investing tech, fintech, and um, and the other thing is, so so like, actually, we can be helpful. Like we can help them raise the next round because most of the time their next round investor actually is somebody in our network, somebody that, um, you know, is based in the United States or, or otherwise somehow we know them. 
Um, so we can help that way. And then I think I was surprised. Uh, I was in Kenya two weeks ago, meeting with one of our, our, our portfolio founders, uh, is building a, a logistics company there. And they, the founder was told me, he was like, you won't believe how helpful it is to have you on the cap table because every time I'm hiring somebody, I just say, Hey, these guys backed us They're They've been, they've invested in companies, you know, and look at their portfolio and we're a part of that portfolio. So like, we're going to be the next thing. And that, that is super helpful. So I actually didn't even think, I didn't think I could be so helpful to a company in Africa, but the founder is telling me like, since, since, since we invested, yeah. it's been, it's made hiring a lot easier. So wow. yeah, I, I think there are different things like that, 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 that do work out. That's really amazing. Um, Jill, uh, two, two final questions uh, of the interview, right? Um, you said something in the beginning, which, which intrigues me, which is on my mind as well, when we're talking about on the other side of the table, you know, you've, you've raised money back in, back in the, quote unquote, back in the days, you've, you've built companies, you've raised money. You were on this side of the table as, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, pitching your, you know, your, your deck and your business to, to VCs. And back then, maybe there were certain truths or at least assumed truths about VC life that you had. But now you are on the other side of the table. What has been the most uh, interesting, interesting, I don't know, element of, of VC funding or VC, VC life that, that you, uh, you've now experienced that is, uh, that, is, that is not true at all? So something that you thought was true when you were on this side of the table, but now you've been running your own fund, you've been investing so extensively, and now you've come to figure out that that is actually not true at all. Yeah, I think the main thing is, you know, and it's changed. Um, but I think the main thing is, I thought the VCs have all the power, but that dynamic has completely shifted to founders having power. <laughs> wow. And like me, you know, you have to earn the right to invest in a company. It's not like the public markets where like you can just invest in any company. Like you have to earn the right to invest in that company wow. and they have to choose you. The asset chooses you. It's the only it's the only investment like that in the world, I think. Yeah. And um, that that is something I didn't really have appreciation for. I thought like the VCs have all the power, but really, like uh, now being on this side, I feel like actually I need to show my value to an entrepreneur, and I'm wow. selling them just as much as they're selling me. That's really good because I I, I remember like uh, even when I was raising. I think maybe that also depends a bit on, on your business and, and, and the financial metrics of your business. But I can imagine if, if, if you're in a quote-unquote burning, sure. burning money business or, or you are burning money at the moment and your runway is short, it brings a different negotiation to the table, right? But, but I love it. Earn the right to invest in a company. That is, that is really beautiful. You could actually organize a podcast only on that topic, I think. But, uh, but, uh, but, but, uh, but chill. Um, uh, final question of the interview, right? I mean, what, what a journey it has been. Um, if we, if we imagine a day far, far away into the future, right, Jill? Uh, like so far in the future that there is uh, a search engine of which the name I don't know, but there's a search engine. And um, if, I, if, I, if I would type in the name Shil uh, Monot, right? I, I type in your name, um, but this search engine only gives me three bullet points. And on all the rest of your digital footprint, and there's no Twitter, there's no LinkedIn, there's no Facebook or, 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 or B, there's no <laughs> BTV. There's no tech crunch. There's yeah. no, no highlights of Shield's achievements whatsoever. There's only three bullet points. And these three bullet points, they represent Shield's life lessons 
that he wants to be known for? Like, what would those three bullet points be? I think, you know, uh, always experiment, uh, live life to the fullest and be helpful. Those are the things I try to live by. I love it. That's, uh, that's, 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 that's amazing. Those are amazing, amazing truths. Uh, Shu, uh, if people are listening and they want to know more about BTV, they want to know more about you, like how could they find out more about you and, and learn more about BTV? What, where should they go? I mean, I think uh, our website, btv.vc, it's a work in progress, but, uh, but you get the basics there. And then, you know, I think what you see is what you get from me on Twitter. I think very much uh, I'm, on Twitter, I'm at, they see P-I-T-D-E-S-I and people who meet me for the first time are like, wow, you're really exactly what I expected based on your Twitter. So I think what you see is what you get with me. So you, there won't be any surprises. Uh, that's amazing. Well, I'll put, I'll put all the links to the, to the website, to your Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. I'll put it on the show notes. Man, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate our time together. Uh, again, amazing Likewise. journey. Congrats, congrats on all the, all the milestones. And I'm, I'm just, I'm believing for a better, a better tomorrow, uh, uh, Shiel. So thank you so much. And uh, looking forward to, uh, to seeing where BTV is uh, evolving into in the coming years ahead. Likewise, man. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for listening to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. If you found this episode valuable, I'd really appreciate it if you can leave a rating and review. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.